When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. We're back. We've got tons to get through because it's been yet another eventful international break for the team on and off the pitch. But we have to say that the news that's concerned most of our listeners just simply has to be addressed because over the last few weeks we have been inundated with comments on social media, with comments on the Athletic app, with DMs even about one thing. Where's Laurie? What's happened to Laurie? What have you done with Laurie? Can I just ask, have you sacked Laurie? Where's Laurie, mate? He hasn't been on for a while. We need Laurie's take on this shambles. Where's Laurie Whitwell? Is he changing with the junior journalist until he apologises for his cocktails? Have you lot fallen out with Laurie? Has Lawrence fallen out with you? <laughs> we miss Laurie. He's disappeared like Malassia. Have I missed something? Is everything okay? Laurie, have you retired? I'm told that Laurie Whitwell was on the Christmas markets today sharing a hot dog with his missus, taking selfies with it, and with built-in mittens on a pram. Is this why he's not on the podcast? There's been concern. There's been conspiracy theories. There's even been mild panic. Well, rest easy. Lawrence James Whitwell is back. Hello, Laurie. Hi, guys. Great to be back. <laughs> That was fun. A little bit of a clue in there, but where on earth have you been? Well, what I love from that little message that you sent to me uh, from an eagle-eyed listener, maybe, or a friend of yours, was that there was no mention of a baby. It was just a pram with uh, inbuilt Andy Mittens on. Uh, you know, we were taking selfies with the sausage, the, the bratwurst. That wasn't the focus of the pictures, I have to say. It was the fact that... <laughs> uh, I don't believe a, you. I've had a baby boy, a baby boy uh, uh, called Sonny. Uh, and so that's what we were doing we were registering him in Manchester for that day actually uh, me and Ange the wife uh, and yeah he arrived on Derby Day so you guys actually found out before a lot of uh, close friends and family because I had to message you saying I'm not going to be on the podcast later guys sorry about that Uh, something's come up (laughs) (laughs) priorities and all that well a huge huge congratulations to you and the missus Laurie how have you been finding it last couple of weeks yeah it's been good Uh, it was a different kind of all nighter than the one I'm used to because um her waters broke at uh, half 11 uh, on the Saturday night just as Tyson Fury was fighting Francis Ngannou and I had a friend round and uh, I was you know, mild panic set in and I was like can I can I finish watching the fight though <laughs> and she she was perfectly uh, yeah okay with that and then we went into hospital and yeah stayed up all night and uh, gave birth at half eight in the morning and uh, it's been yeah magical and, and you, you guys obviously know the feeling Andy and Ian um, feels incredible and uh, yeah obviously a lot of nappy changes and, and trying to kind of keep abreast of things and he, he actually watched um, the derby uh, from the Labour Ward uh, later that day on my phone got it up on the old Sky oh, Guard 
uh, <laughs> and uh, and oh baby, yeah. So he actually he, he's what I don't know how many games he's watched now, but um, yeah, I say watch. You know, he's been there, present for. Took him a while to get his first win. Um, Who's his favourite player? Yeah. Well, well, the thing is, so obviously you know City won the derby with a certain uh, Erling Haaland uh, performing quite well, and then my editor Laura uh, sent me the a screen grab of the back page of the of the Sun the next day, the Monday morning, and the headline was Blues the Daddy. Um, you know, with Erling Haaland, you know, splashed across the back oh, of no. it. I was like, no, this is not what I need. You know, and they'd wrapped him in baby blue, hadn't they? You know, as, as soon as he comes out of the, you know, <laughs> out <laughs> into the world. Um, and so a lot of people were messaging me saying, are you going to call him Erling? So no, no, not not calling him Erling. He was born on a sunny Sunday. So that's what we went with. Yeah, it's a good job it wasn't Spurs that handed out that 3-0 defeat for United. <laughs> Otherwise, you might have been rethinking I the hadn't name. I uh, hadn't even clocked that, you know. Uh, wife called Anne and son called Sonny, you know. Yeah, very Spurs. <laughs> very Spursy. Well, it's fantastic to have you back and a huge, huge congratulations as well um, to the entire Whitwell clan. Obviously, we've got Andy Mitten and Carl Anker here uh, like we had throughout the dark days when, when Lawrence was away. Uh, we've got tons to get through, like I said before. We need to talk about the investment, which has not quite happened. We need to talk about Manchester United being back in action away at Everton which that match has a completely different complexion on it with their points deduction. There's some issues to talk about from international football. And there's another return with Luke Shaw back in training, which is also important information. But Andy, one place to start really. Around this time last year, we were scrambling around trying to work out was Cristiano Ronaldo leaving or Manchester United potentially being put up for sale, the bigger news. Um, We did emergency pods, we tried to get through on that. Amazingly, we're a year on. Even on the last pod, I said to you, is this the last time that we talk about this maybe happening? Uh, but here we are again. We are. Congratulations, Laurie and Ange. We've got to say that at the start. <laughs> With the takeover stuff, um, reminds me of, remember when Gary Neville was injured towards the end of his career? And when Sir Alex Ferguson was asked, he kept saying, just two more weeks, two more weeks, and be back in two more weeks. But the two more weeks never really came, and then Gary retired. I've been told so many times within a couple of weeks the Sir Jim Ratcliffe Ineos bid will be ratified and away we go. This is a new form of ownership for Manchester United. But it keeps getting pushed back. And there's a simple reason for this. It's the Glazers. They control everything. It's up to them when it goes out. It's up to them when they sign the deal. I think it will be signed. It has taken a full year. That was a mad, mad day on the 22nd of November last year because you had two huge stories within an hour of each other. It was Cristiano going and Manchester United going up for a a strategic review, which everyone thought would take weeks, maybe a month or two. It'll be done and dusted in in January. And I'm here in March and I'm here in... Remember Rio Ferdinand saying, yeah, Qatar deal's told by a very good source, it's done imminently. And that was at the start of June. So frustration has been a hallmark of this whole process. Uh, Qatar bow, bow down. Uh, a lot of fans online were in favour of Qatar. A lot of fans were not for various reasons. And now we are where we are. I do expect it to happen within two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> within two weeks, exactly. Uh, Carl, I mean, it's Thanksgiving in the USA today as we record. So happy Thanksgiving to our listeners in the US. Um, that means it's unlikely there'll be anything today. <sighs> when will we know what this deal or when this deal will happen but what will it look like as well there are so many key questions and we're beginning to see the impact on the club with with some of the stuff that we'll talk about 
Yeah, we've, we've seen some slow changes. We, we, the, the announcement of Richard Arnold was one. Um, the incoming uh, movement of Patrick Stewart is another. You get the sense that this minority investment, partial takeover, however you want to describe it, the gears are beginning to, to click in and, and things are beginning to happen. But this is going to take time. Anything that involves 1.2 billion, billion with a B, is going to take a while. And even when this gets properly announced on on the club website, it's going to take at least another six weeks after that to get formally ratified because, again, these things take time. You're working with people in different time zones. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think, Andy said words to the effect of the Glazers aren't hasty people, which I've nicked that one and started using that in my articles. I call them the glacial family. It's there true. you go. It's absolutely there true. There you go. They're not in a rush to do anything at all. They go at their own pace. Um, and that pace has worked for them. Right, they've got 1.2 billion for 25% of an asset they bought via a leverage takeover for 790, wasn't it? The, the full price and 270 million of their own money, basically. There you go. Going at the Glazer pace works for the Glazers, so they're going to continue to go at the Glazer pace. Laurie, between nappy changes and night feeds, have you been able to work out exactly what football control means yet, or <laughs> any clue as to what? having football control, what it looks like. I think ultimately it will be Ratcliffe's prerogative. You know, today Brailsford will have a pivotal role in this. You know, he's his sporting guru at Ineos. um, So he's very much at the forefront of what United might look like. But, you know, he's here slightly conflicting things over how much he would want to be involved in the day-to-day running of it. Most people, I think, that are familiar with his work feel that he would uh, want to just have an overview of the structure and, and, and look at the processes in place at United and how they can be made better and then appoint people in those positions to do those jobs. And I think that, as bizarre as it sounds, 25% of the club means that Ratcliffe gets to make the say on sporting decisions. So, you know, which players come in? You know, what's the future of Eric Ten Hag? What will the recruitment system look like? Who's the chief executive? This is the interesting one, isn't it? How much of a say did they have on that? I mean, it, it might well be that Ratcliffe said, you know, I'm only um, coming in if... Um, there's a new chief executive now clearly there was some friction I think we've reported on this when we reported that Richard Arnold was was set to leave you know in the event of a Ratcliffe takeover which to be honest it's basically there now that's why he's he's left there's no real need for him to stick around and also there has been some tension uh, we're led to believe between uh, Richard Arnold and Joel Glazer between Richard Arnold and the Ineos team because of this sort of pushback over the way that the previous proposal was made you know in terms of the class A class B shares which certainly caught the eye of the investors that held the class a shares in the eye in the sense that were they actually getting a fair shake of things were they getting um you know value for their shares as opposed to just the glazers profiting from this deal so i think everyone concerned felt that there's no real need for richard arnold to stick around albeit as i've written in the sort of overview of his of his time as chief executive i think people will accept that he's done quite a lot of good work i think also the the mason greenwood thing though you know did um is something that hit his reputation but i think overall the kind of way that he engaged the fans and and the the way that he tried to empower people in positions to you know, specialists, you know, is, is what you'd like them to be, I think was a, a positive uh, step. But clearly Ratcliffe, I think, wants to go his own way. And there's Jean-Claude Blanc, who is his 
uh, sort of chief executive of his, of his Ineos Sports Group. I think he will come in after Patrick Stewart's interim situation is, is kind of over. I don't know if he's the long-term chief executive of Man United, but he's certainly someone that they see as being able to then take things forward. Now, I, I take your point, Ian, that that's a chief executive role. What's that got to do with the sporting function? I think it's just, it seems that all options have been evaluated on this deal where you know, the Glazers have said no to certain aspects of what Ratcliffe's proposed and he's come back with, you know, he's been flexible, he's been malleable. That's what's got him over the line rather than the Qatari bid. I therefore think that on the sporting side of things, the Glazers have gone, well, listen, we've not we've not actually been very good at it, you know, since we've um, taken charge of it. So you, you have a go. And from their perspective, I suppose it's a win-win because if United do well on the sporting side under Ratcliffe, then the value of the club goes up. If uh, United do badly on the sporting side, then it's Ratcliffe's uh, problem, not the Glazers as much anymore. You've been saving that answer up since you stopped being on the podcast, Laurie, <laughs> haven't you? My goodness, wow. Go on, Andy. Richard Arnold's relationship with the Glazers soured. Um, Richard Arnold said things to them which any fan might say, like it's not a good idea to be taking dividends. When he came in, he wanted to, to make his mark. He wanted to bring about change. Some of the things there which Laurie touched on, um, delegating responsibility to, to specialists because the reality with his predecessor, Ed Woodward, he was, he was heavily involved in, in recruitment and dealing directly with agents. On the 27th of September in Munich, I said to Richard Arnold, I'm told you're going. And he looked at me like I had four heads and like he was completely shocked. Then Laurie wrote the piece that he was going, which was absolutely accurate. So something's changed in that time. I think even in September, he knew that he was going and he his relationship had gone with the people who employ him, basically. He's fallen out with his, with, with his bosses and Patrick Stewart has come in now as, um, as an interim. Interim FC, a few people have mentioned with regards to several appointments. <laughs> I think that's valid. Again. Again, yeah, because this is the shifting power plates are going to lead to that. And that's how it is at Manchester United. Patrick listens to this podcast, by the way, lads. Morning, Patrick. Hello, Patrick. He, uh, <laughs> he's an Aberdeen fan as a kid. He watched Fergie's Aberdeen, but he, he goes home and away with Manchester United. I've spoke to him loads of times. He's, he's He knows his stuff absolutely. But Patrick, if you're listening to this, answer this question. One word, please, by email. Tell me who's missing. Sion, Dynamo Tirana, Lech Poznan, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid. Just one word. That's it. Get that right. Your credibility goes up a notch. Get it wrong. We're going to absolutely hammer you on this podcast. <laughs> That's the challenge. Uh, speaking of challenges, Carl, you've written a, a good luck message to, to Jim Ratcliffe. Or that seems to be the form that it's taken on The Athletic anyway. Yeah, yeah. I just sort of had a look at all of the many, many, many uh, reports uh, and thoughts of fans saying the five things that Jim Ratcliffe has to sort out. Things that Jim Ratcliffe needs to sort out for the January transfer window. Do this, do this, do this. And you go, and I'm looking at it going, he's, it's a minority investment. It, it's 25%. And Joel Glazer is still in charge of the majority of things. By the way, just five things. I mean, 5,000 <laughs> things, maybe? I, I don't know. 500? <laughs> this is, I think this is the problem with Manchester. Well, this is the, this is a long problem United have had in that we, we as a fan base, have been desperate for change from the years of dysfunction. That anyone who comes in is touted as a messiah and a saviour who can fix everything with a magic wand. And then, at best, you get maybe a season of like, okay, things are getting better, before 
before everything else affects you. Uh, I think we're going to spend a lot of conversation and we're going to get a lot of emails in the coming weeks going, now that the Sir Jim Radcliffe minor investment's done, what does this mean for the January transfer window? And the answer right now is, I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure when Laurie gets a bit of time in between nappies and, and baby um, you know, feeding, he's going to have a go at drawing up a lovely family tree of the new uh, setup with Sir Jim Radcliffe in charge, only for that setup to change. They in just keep changing hours. out the car. We've done about four of these, and like, like they last about a week before something changes. I know. I tried having a go recently, and just go. I, I don't know who reports to who, and this is my job to know who reports to who. And I think that's part of the problem. Yeah, I, th- I think people at United are probably not sure sometimes. Um, yeah, I think the the, the hope the, the 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 hope, if not expectation, is that when Sir Jim Radcliffe comes on, some of this becomes clearer, and you have le- less confusion and muddle but also trying to undo all of that is really 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 hard so Susan Radcliffe good luck I hope you brought a helmet people have been expecting you for basically the last six months uh, and uh, if you don't bring us Frankie the Young Lionel Messi and 24 year old Edson Cavani you're going to be viewed as a failure you need so, a time machine clear. <laughs> <laughs> good luck with that yeah if you want to read Carl's good luck message to Sir Jim Radcliffe or indeed any of the writing on the Athletic there's been some brilliant stuff about this entire situation and there'll be more when this finally does get announced of course you need a subscription to the Athletic there's a Black Friday offer on at the moment where you can subscribe for just one pound a month or one dollar a month for the first 12 months that finishes on Monday which is the 27th of November so to take advantage of that offer head to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Right, that's off the pitch. Let's talk about on the pitch because there's also quite a lot to get through with this as well. I'm going to start with Andre Onana. Uh, Our mate Critch has put a piece on The Athletic about his international future. There's still some uncertainty about whether he's going to be around in January or not or whether he's going to be you know, playing for his country, Cameroon, at, at AFCON, which obviously wasn't the case or wasn't going to be the case when he first joined Manchester United when he was, well, retired from international football. But there is some concern as well, Carl, about whether he's even playing this weekend at the moment. Yeah, so he pulled out midway through midway through Cameroon's first game during this international break with an injury. Um, couldn't continue. Pretty immediately after full-time, I got, received a message saying the injury's not too bad. Um, we've inquired into that and he didn't, participate in Cameroon's following following game during international break. We don't know if he's returned to Manchester yet, but it seemed like he picked up the injury and went, right, I'm going back to Manchester, going to have a scan, going to get checked over. So we're going to have to wait until Friday for Eric Ten Hag's opinion on Anana's fitness there. So might be able to feature against Everton. And you, you get the sense that if he's anything above, let's say 75%, Ten Hag will probably give him 
a run out over buying deer at this point in time. I think he'll be okay for Everton. Yeah, it seems like it was a, a, a sort of minor injury. Yeah, he's back in Manchester. I think he trained yesterday. So, the, the, yeah, as it stands, I think he'll be okay. Okay, that's good then, uh, because there was some concern that needed clearing up. I, I presume that Aaron Wan-Bissaka will be all right because he only missed the game before the international break against Luton with illness. But, Andy, there's still question marks over Hoyland and Eriksson uh, about the severity of their problems. Johnny Evans as well. Uh, obviously, Casimiro Martinez have been ruled out to Christmas. Um, Malassia, we're not sure when he's back. Ahmad's back in training, but we don't know if he's going to be available. The one beacon could be Luke Shaw. He's been back in training for a little while for United. It's been confirmed by the club with pictures. And what an amazing boost this could be for the team to have Luke Shaw back. It would be because it's been the biggest problem position. I know the strikers have not been scoring. I know the midfield has been much castigated. But there's been times when Manchester United have played central midfielders at left-back because the problem is not just Luke Shaw, who's the number one left-back. It's Malassia has been out there. Reguilón, who was brought in, has also been injured. And clubs have been exploiting that. They know that. And there's been some pretty uncomfortable games for Amrabat when he played there through no fault of his own. Kudos to him for actually playing there and and, and not ducking on that one. But Luke Shaw is one of Manchester United's best players when he's playing well. I don't actually think he started the season particularly well. But his relationship with Marcus Rashford on the left is a productive one. I think players would benefit around him, not just in the defence, where he can play at left back or centrally. Be interesting to see. Uh, I think he'll be moved at left back for a start, and but be interesting to see what his pecking order is as, as a central defender as well. But come back as soon as you can, Luke, and good to see him back. Um, with Anana, probable he's going to play as, as Laurie says. But just imagine for Bayern Deer, if he made his United debut in the Champions League away at Galatasaray when he's come from Fenerbahce, <laughs> their arch rivals. And it's not a dead rubbery Galatasaray, it's a huge game as well. Yeah, that would be quite something for him. Yeah, the issue of January as well, you know, it's going to be very, very interesting to see what happens with Onana because Bayern has not played a minute yet for the team. I mean, even the opportunity to play him in the League Cup, Eric Ten Hag passed on and, and played Onana because I guess at the point, at that point, it felt important to build up more rhythm and there was already so many changes in the defence for United. He probably didn't want to introduce even more uh, by changing the goalkeeper for the League Cup games. But it does mean we could head into that period in January with a completely unproven goalkeeper for Manchester United despite the credentials he's got from Turkey or he could be man of the match in Istanbul next week against his old arch-rivals and be a hero for Manchester United forevermore. Carl, what difference do you think Luke Shaw makes being back, if indeed he's back, in the United team at Goodison Park this weekend? Oh, it'll be huge. Luke Shaw is... There have been times where Luke Shaw has been the best way for United to get the ball from their penalty area into the opposition's penalty area. If Ten Hag confirms him as fit and available to play on Sunday, I'll get a piece up for the weekend. Uh, I had a look at the numbers and only Bruno Fernandes found Marcus Rashford with more passes in the Premier League last season than Shaw, which you consider Casemiro, Christian Eriksen, um, Anthony, and all those other players. They just no one finds Rashford, who you know, is, was essentially you know their best attacker last season. Dan Shaw, he's your best left back defensively. He's better positionally than Malassia. He's better in one v one duels than Brandon Williams or. Victor Lindelof out there. He's probably better in the air than Victor Lindelof, which is odd to say about a centre-back. Um, and yeah, I, I, I agree with Andy. When Luke Shaw is on it, 
he is one of United's best players. We also have to admit, sometimes Luke Shaw isn't always on it. Um, and I'm hoping that it's not quite the uh, Rooney post-injury phase where he takes three or four games to get into top gear. Well, it's been a long layoff for Luke. It has. He's only played two Premier League games this season. You know, One against Wolves, where he tried playing that inverted box midfield and it didn't work. Uh, and then against Spurs, where good first half and then not so good second half, where Garnacho and him miscommunicated a bit. So hopefully Shaw will be part of a cavalry where the, the back four gets a bit more consistency. Midfield, again, is going to have to change because Christian Eriksen's injured. So if Ten Hag wants to persist with Scott McTominay, they'll have to be someone else in there. Um, and then we'll see about up front and out wide as well. Yeah, more question marks, though, certainly about this Manchester United team, Laurie. I mean, they're the most informed side in the Premier League, so I don't even know why we're, we're concerned <laughs> over the past five games, which was a, a startling uh, stat that came out of out just before this uh, this break. Mason Mount, uh, Oli Kay's written about on The Athletic as well, about the position he has in the team or hasn't got in the team as it might be. I mean, that's another issue for Eric Ten Hag at the moment, trying to work out exactly how this this works. Because even with players coming back, it then begins a new issue about how to fit the new pieces together with the old pieces and the returning pieces. And it's been a mess so far at times, the team, and it feels like it's only going to get more complicated, maybe. Funny what you say about United being the form team, because I, you know, I, I managed to watch the uh, the Luton game and um, and sort of tweeted how, you know, it was obviously a, a better performance, um, but not one to inspire great confidence because it was 1-0 against a team that, you know, looked to be heading for relegation and and kind of a lot of people were like you know very uh angry about that kind of view of of the team and actually wanted to be positive about it so it's kind of interesting to how to gauge your reaction to united right now i've definitely sensed that during the break since the Luton game that there is like an effort almost from a lot of fans who've been down in the dumps for quite a while to try and feel a little bit more positive and try and cling on to whatever random stat yeah. there is. Well, at least it's, it is a stat. It's it's a fact. You cannot dispute it. Um, yeah. Regard- All right, Rafa. <laughs> well, yeah, we're getting a bit Rafa territory, aren't we? You know, United, the goal difference. What is it, Andy? Is it minus three or minus four? You know, just remember when United used to have a positive goal difference on a regular basis. Um, so I think no. that, that's, what's the, that's what's the kind of concern is. And in terms of, you know, fitting the pieces in. I think yeah, Ollie's piece on Mason Mount is a really interesting one. It goes into quite good detail actually about some of the specific instances in games where a team that's fully functioning and understanding each other's roles knows how to use Mason Mount. I think there's a, there's an instant when he it was a great third man run. I can't remember which team it was against. Uh, and Anthony had the ball out on the right and he he cuts back in and passes back rather than feeds him straight away down the wing. And no, well he didn't, exactly. Did there he? we go. <laughs> I, I <laughs> love you know. I, you can see he's trying, but okay. I know I've been I've been you know sort of trying to be supportive of Anthony at different moments in his playing career but no he's not he's so frustrating isn't he um, and, and just and I feel like Rasmus Hoyland must be frustrated like I know he, he should have scored against Luton um, but and I know I think you brought up the, the, the big chances missed again was it eight or something that he's missed now in the Premier League yeah. which but then again you know Erling Haaland's top of that list I think isn't he so you kind of that's what you want you want your guy to be okay you don't want him to be missing big chances but you want him to be in those areas and his, his run for the Copenhagen goal was superb you know to kind of get across his, his mark if you can give him crosses, surely he's going to benefit from that. And Luke Shaw will will change that. You'd think. You'd as think well, so. Yeah. Surely, yeah. yeah. Cross, he, he can cross it from a, a different angle than you don't have to even have to beat you know your fullback for Luke Shaw to get a decent crossing. So hopefully that's something that Hoyland will thrive on. 
And I'm, I'm led to believe, I know he, he was a bit of an injury doubt, wasn't he? Because uh, he, he pulled out of the Danish squad. But United did say back before the end of November, and there's there's literally only like one game left in, in November. I suppose there's yep. Galatasaray <laughs> as well. But like, so I, th- I think he'll be okay for, for Everton, hopefully, you know, if he's... Hoyler? Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Right, interesting. Yeah. I, did, I did think at the time that it wasn't a serious hamstring problem. So you're normally looking at a couple of weeks, aren't you, if it's really minor. So. Yeah. I mean, listen, don't don't have a go at me, please, if uh, if he's not fit enough. But well, I'm going to. I'm going to, for one, I've got hope now. Thank <laughs> you, you, Are you going to make him your captain on Fantasy yeah. Premier League? I know you, uh, you're into that, you know. You, you, you've got a different podcast. I have owned him this uh... season. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, and it's not, not gone that I think well. I, yeah, I think but, I'm beating um, you, actually, but... uh, in our little league. Um, I know, we'll move on. Okay, um, sorry. Andy, <laughs> look, that's all right. Andy, um, let's talk about the leadership issue that United have got, which Luke Shaw could also help with. Again, a piece you put out on The Athletic looked into that and the issues that United have got um, in this particular department in the team. Do you, do you see Shaw helping the side through this? He's, he's part of the leadership group, we're led to, led to believe. He is, but so are most of the players. There's about eight people in that group. It's quite a fluid group. It depends who you ask, Ian, because it's such a subjective issue. I've spoke to several people as part of that article who know and some of them were like, yep, yeah, absolutely a leader and others were like, well, he's not captain material. But on balance, um, absolutely important and a senior pro there, just not ready to be captain. But then who is? My main takeaway from that piece was just how in favour most people were of Bruno Fernandes being captain because that's been a talking point and Roy Keane most famously has been a critic of him and it wasn't just well who else because there is a lack of leaders and I hear a lot of former players going lack of leaders, lack of fight and I try and decipher where's the actual truth there and that's why I wrote that that article and Bruno came out of it surprisingly well to me everyone I spoke to for him trying to be a captain in the dressing room at Carrington on a day-to-day basis being a good person on the pitch we've spoke about his negatives many times we don't like it when he's flailing around getting booked but people said to me that that comes from his desire to win and his own frustration when the team are not winning his linguistic skills were, were praised as well when I spoke to different people so we can compare great former United sides and pick out eight people who were leaders. Leadership has definitely been an issue this season. There's been players who more was expected of when some players went out injured. But Bruno Fernandes came out of the the report or the, the intelligence that I was trying to gather um, really well. But we can see there's games where that team is lacking leaders. I think if you're looking for other keys... Look at why the manager has gone more, although not exclusively, with Scott McTominay, with Johnny Evans, with Harry Maguire. It's people who he's looking for certain types of um, of attributes. And that would maybe point in the direction of a lack of leaders on the team. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Okay, let's talk Manchester United back in Premier League action. Everton's form's been a bit up and down. We were sort of looking at the fixture thinking, yep, we've had some decent days at Goodison Park. We've had some bad days at Goodison Park, but there is hope. There's been transformational matches for United in recent times in terms of form at Goodison as well. However, United now face an Everton side who have been docked 10 points by the Premier League at the time of recording, which is just past 10 o'clock on Thursday morning. We don't know about any appeal, but what we do know is that there's going to be a tone set in this game that we just never expected, Carl. Yep. I mean, this this might be Manchester United's last visit to Goodison Park with the proposed move to a new stadium. So it was already going to be a bit fiery, but the, the atmosphere with the points deduction... You see a lot of Everton fans talking about turning Goodison into a bear pit for the rest of the season. I've heard the term bear pit this week more than I think I've ever heard the term bear pit. And I've heard the term bear pit a fair few times over the years. Yeah, I've I've seen Everton fans talk about handing out however many different placards and leaflets protesting against the Premier League and whatnot. More placards after these ones won't. I was going to say these ones won't be put through um, a laminator. <laughs> These ones won't be put through a laminator, will they? To be fair, yeah, and they I won't start pro- with please either. No, they will not. They will start with something a bit, bit more fiery. Um, and yeah, I, I'm looking looking forward to Sean Dyche's next press conference. He's he's a confident football manager in the best of times. So let's see what he wants when when the backs are up against. It. It's going to be a siege mentality game, and I think anyone going to Goodison is going to be going to find it hard between now and the end of the season it's fun you know it's interesting that we say Evans been docked 10 points they're still not bottom to follow on with what Andy said about Ten Hag looking for certain attributes and perhaps trusting certain players more than others you can imagine Scott McTominay a person who you know is up for a bit of a fight gave a bit of verbals to Neymar he might enjoy playing at Goodison more than uh, certain other players in the squad yeah the thing is as well that the form's been good um, for Everton of late too. I mean, you look at their their recent form over, even if you go back to sort of the the start of September, um, the form's been good. There's a few defeats in there, but three wins from the last four and beating in four, you know, their, their tails are up. The atmosphere, I, mean, I was listening to an Everton fan on the radio the other day, Andy, and they were talking about some of the mo- most momentous occasions that Goodison Park has ever seen. And they were sort of making out like, this weekend's going to be even above that. It's an angry ground at the best of times. I think yeah. Everton fans are, are really quick to criticise. I respect them greatly as a club, but it can be vicious. The stands are really tight in on the pitch. This is England's Wrigley Field. And I'll miss Goodison for all its faults and stanchions and wooden seats. And I think it's it's a very it's the last of the traditional old English football grounds hemmed in by by terraced houses. I love going there. I've seen some amazing Manchester United moments there. I've seen a title be lifted there in, I think it was uh, 03. I've seen United concede four and five at Goodison. Spoke to Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer after the four in 2019. And are you the man to take this club forward? Because that was horrendous. I'm absolutely the man to do it as he took his jacket off ready to fight. Let's focus on United's form coming into this lorry as well. Um, Like we said before, there is a feeling that people are trying to feel positive about this team. The results, despite the fact they've still not won a game by more than one clear goal in the Premier League this season, have been better, despite maybe the opposition being quite weak. But it's a platform for United to build on. And now we'll judge whether this period that they've just had has been progress because we'll see that 
it has to be better and it has to build from here. And, and if it does, then fine. Yeah, I think it's a, a chance for United to kind of prove whether or not it's just been the sort of standard of opposition, really, that they've faced in the Premier League that's given them this sort of bit of momentum. Um, I think they've I think they've kind of gone back to basics a little bit, haven't they, with Harry Maguire coming back into the team, I think's done done really well considering particularly considering he was, you know, on the way out um in the summer. Um and I think Ten Hag's kind of gone with players that he knows what he's gonna get from them, which I think is I know you guys were speaking about Rafael Varane uh, sort of in the last couple of episodes, but I think that's what has happened there where can he totally trust uh, Varane to sort of stay fit throughout this whole period or you know, within games? And is he is he still able to kind of perform at the level that you know he did for Real Madrid um, and, and perhaps United last season? I'm not sure. I think that's why, um, as much as anything else, that Carl sort of touched on as well. For sure, that's a, that's um, a thought in his mind in terms of the the kind of left side of, of centre half. That those kind of questions are what Tenag's sort of weighing up in terms of who he picks. I think Everton have looked good, haven't they? I mean, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, I think him coming back has been a big boost for them, certainly from last season. I think he offers them something different. And But you kind of think Maguire's the perfect defender to handle that kind of thing. You know, I think against Fulham particularly, just he, he got rid of everything, didn't he, that was coming into the box. Um, so I, I kind of hope that he's able to step forward and, and be that kind of proactive defender that Ten Hag's um, sort of raved about. What do you think, Andy? You you, you spoke to uh, the man, main man himself this week. Can we can we go there? <laughs> yeah, we can say I spoke to him. I loved having a chat with him. I had a really long chat with him. And Eric Ten Hag, we need to point out. Yep. Yeah, he, he, was, he was absolutely spot on. I came out of that thinking, I want this man to be in charge of, of the football team who I support. In, in difficult times, and it is a difficult time. You look at the fixtures, Everton, Galatasaray, Chelsea, some team from Liverpool coming up in the next month or so. It's going to be it's going to be difficult, and the injury list has been severe, and we, we pin hopes on Luke Shaw coming back because it's been that bad that we've missed so many players for so long this season. In Ten Hag, I saw a man who's absolutely determined with the challenge, who's... I've seen under pressure managers before. I've seen managers really feeling it, but he spoke and he spoke a lot. And I really enjoyed um, speaking to him. It's for United we stand. I told him this season's not been good. Everyone knows that. Manchester United have dropped too many points. But we talked about that Luton game a few weeks ago, as in talked about it on this podcast. That was a must win and United did win it. So that just calmed things a, a little bit for this international break, which seems to have gone on for ages. But after this now... It's two games a week right the way through. There will be respite in January because United have gone out of the League Cup. We're not going to see the clogging of fixtures that we saw last year. Will United stay in the Champions League or go into a playoff? That could be another. Remember we had that Barcelona game in, in February of last year. So much to be decided. I'm not totally confident with this United side. I've only seen a good performance against Palace's second string and first half at Spurs, first 20-odd minutes at Bayern Munich away. There's not been a lot to go out from this season. Copenhagen was all right. Yeah, you're it? right there, Ian. First the, the, half. You're absolutely right. I think it was better than all right. It was it was really good, the, the first good. half hour yeah. in, in Copenhagen. Yeah. I was watching that, was said on the pod, thinking, really nice to watch Manchester United winning a game of football. You weren't looking at planes flying over, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> just Andy talking about talking to Eric Ten Hag, it's just stunning. Ten Hag's not going to be in the dugout, is he? Nope. Mm. Good point. He might be near you, Carl, because the, the director's box is right in front of the press box at Goodison. I'll try and speak to him in Dutch if he is. But, I mean, that's a question. Is, is it going to be Van der Graag or 
McLaren giving out touchline instructions on Sunday because Ten Hag will is, is suspended because he picked up that yellow against Luton. So I think it'll be Van der Gaar, mm-hmm. won't it? I was going to say I could probably bring a little bit of info on that considering the position I normally have is next to the Manchester United dugout when I'm reporting pitch side at Old Trafford Van der Gaag leads uh, when when it's not Ten Hag and I think Eric Ramsey actually will probably be as involved as anyone he seems to have quite a prominent role um, when it comes to a lot of the sort of set piece decisions and giving out instructions and things like that so I think you'll find it's those two Steve McLaren actually on a match day doesn't tend to be involved beyond discussions back on the bench. He's he's not on the touchline. You know, it's not like when we had, you know, Kieran McKenna, Michael Carrick, Mike Phelan, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in this rotation. I mean, that rule of only allowing one um, in the uh, technical area would have been quite (laughs) difficult for that management team at United. It's an interesting dynamic, Andy, though, isn't it? We've we've obviously not seen this before. I like your insight there, Ian, because I just think when you sit by the dugout, you just like smiling for the telly but you're actually taking on board what's going on to your right or left hand side well I'm normally looking miserable that's, that's normally the Scowl. feedback he's like cheer up well yeah. sipping Bovril yeah that did happen yeah I've done a deal with Ten Hag that I'm actually going to be on the bench at Goodison on Sunday instead that's why I went to see him God rally them troops oh yeah oh yeah I wish in my dreams sort of thing you dream about innit you what, know you sometimes dream what about what would you do then stuff. go on Andy what mad thing would you do if you were in the dugout the problem with fans is emotion can 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 cloud your judgment. So yeah, come on, here we go. don't sit on the fence. Don't, come, don't on. Start <laughs> in the don't come on, you're in charge of Manchester United, Andy. Don't start being like sitting on the fence. Right. So the one thing that fans always moan about when they ring in radio shows and stuff like that is like no passion, no art, no commitment. And the one thing which really, really pisses players off is fans saying that they've got no passion, no art, and no commitment because you're basically saying that you're not doing your job. You're lying to us. And they always do try um, to, to try. First of all, suit or tracksuit? What would you lads wear? Suit. No, I'm wearing a suit. Suit. Tracksuit. Got to be able to get amongst it, haven't you? You know, <laughs> sprint out to the touchline and, and harangue you, an official. Um... Took your joggers <laughs> in your socks like you did when you were walking around <laughs> Ireland for our last show earlier on. Are you, are you saying hello to Sean Dyche before the game kicks off or you're blanking him? Quick handshake. No. Strong handshake. Yeah. Quick handshake. Are you instructing your players to evil the Evertonians? No. In a true sort of, you're trying to take this thing out of yeah. the crowd. You're trying to like, you know, quiet maintain possession. I'd, yeah. I'd be going. I'd be saying the Evertonians are arguing with the Premier League. You leave them alone. All you're here to do, win. We go. On. That's my team talk. Remember when that Grim Reaper appeared at, um, at Goodison alongside <laughs> yeah. David Moyes? I think if you're a manager, any of that, you straight up, you front him and go, you're taking the piss out of me and you take the hit that comes with that as well. You've got to show him that you're the Manchester United. <laughs> you know, take yeah. the side out of his hand first, surely. Yeah, take that. Well, it was a, what a proper one, was it? You're not going to get a full two metre one into Goodison. I don't know. What's the security like at Goodison? <laughs> Do you really want to take that risk? I reckon you. I reckon you applaud the United fans. You go, you go near them, say, "We need it from you today." Come on, all of you, turn to the Gladys Street remember, end, um... give them the finger, take the hit for that as well. If you're in the ground early, um, who's going at the weekend? Carl, you going? That'll be me. Yeah, yep. I'm going. If, if you're in the ground early, or, or you are yep. as well, Andy, or Manchester United fans in the away ground, in the away end early. Have a look at what Sean Dyche does um, when he first gets to the ground. He does this really weird thing, which I presume is about measuring out the pitch, which it's going to be the same every game, isn't it, at Goodison Park? But he comes out before the teams are warming up and he almost paces out from the side of the pitch, down the touchline to the edge of the 18-yard box and back to the halfway line and then goes back in again. Um, 
I've never seen anyone else ever do it, but he does right. it every single game. That is mad. I mean, Tenag does a walk on Old Trafford pitch only quite a long time before kickoff. But I, but yeah, he can't be measuring. Is he is he seriously measuring the pitch in case the groundsman's like accidentally done the white lines in the wrong place? I, I can't think of any other explanation for it than than he's, he's pacing out the pitch. <laughs> uh, I mean, away grounds. Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. he's doing it to to understand exactly what yeah. the dimensions are and maybe he's suspicious of what the official um, dimensions are that have been submitted. But he does it every single wow, game. Right then. Right, on that note, uh, let's wrap it up. <laughs> that was an unexpected <laughs> twist towards the end of the podcast, wasn't it? Laurie, it's been brilliant to have you back. Congratulations again. Carl and Andy, thank you for being with us as always. And of course, thank you everyone for listening as always. We'll be back after Everton, whatever happens. Enjoy the game, enjoy the bear pit and whatever else it brings. And we'll see you on the next one. Take care, bye-bye. The Athletic.